Hello, and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Friedrich, and today I am honored to have Keegan Hall with me. Keegan is a phenomenal artist and uses his art to donate back to uh, individuals and kids and charities that really help, uh, I guess, uh, families that are needing funds and needing assistance to be able to uh, fulfill their lifestyle. So Keegan, thanks so much for being on today. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to do this. You betcha. So thinking about that and growing up in your family dynamic, you said, hey, we grew up in a way that we didn't have everything you'd ever want in life, uh, but we had a lot of things you need. So just talk a little bit about kind of your upbringing and the way you were raised. Yeah, I think I probably had a, a unique childhood compared to most folks. Um, grew up in a small town, Sumner, Washington, um, lived in a trailer park most of my life, a nice little single wide. And uh, actually it actually wasn't until high, high school until we got like a real house. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so growing up in that environment definitely kind of molds the way you think, the way you look at people, the way you interact with people. And then just to add another little wrinkle into that childhood, I have one sibling, um, a sister named Joanna who uh, is disabled. Mm. So she has cerebral palsy, um, she can't walk. Um, she's also legally blind, so she can't see very well. So, um, you know, kind of growing up with, with that type of sibling, you know, you go out in public and, you know, there's just different social dynamics at work as people, everybody looks at you and you kind of just learn to be very perceptive, um, of kind of the people around you. So I think I got exposure to, I guess, people at their very core from an early age. Absolutely. So as you're growing up, you start liking this idea of uh, art and getting involved in art. And as you're going through school, you get an opportunity to uh, win a contest for a yearbook. So talk a little bit about just kind of your intro into art and then getting that uh, opportunity to draw the yearbook. Yeah, it's funny that, that you mentioned that. That was way back in elementary school. <laughs> I think it was maybe like fifth or sixth grade. They had a, a contest to draw the cover of the, the yearbook that year yeah. and uh, we were the Huskies, the Maple Lawn Huskies and uh, I thought it'd be so cool to make this just really mean looking husky like big sharp teeth spiky collar um, and uh, it was kind of like cartoony looking and I thought it, it turned out perfect exactly how I wanted it uh, submitted it and won the contest um, but then they came back to me and said, well, it's a little too aggressive, a little too mean, a little too scary for elementary school. Can you redo it and maybe draw it maybe a little bit more realistic, you know, like a nice cute husky with his tongue hanging out and maybe like, you know, a star in the background. So that's, I kind of followed that lead. It, it didn't turn out at all. I wasn't happy with it at all. Um, but that is actually what ended up on the yearbook. So I still have it here somewhere and it kind of just reminds me of that, that moment in time and, you know, kind of compromising uh, your original idea and intention for, uh, for the greater good, I guess. Absolutely. Now for people to really, you know, get to a pinnacle of success and whatever it is that they choose, oftentimes there are some of those uh, kind of first moments where it's like, all right, somebody noticed that I was really good at this, right? I mean, good enough to win a school contest, right? Or maybe it was a teacher in class that says, hey, you're pretty good at this. So talk a little bit about in those years, maybe what that meant to get that, you know, piece selected, or if there was anyone, you know, giving encouragement along the way at that point. Yeah, I mean, uh, growing up, I was a super shy kid. I mean, even all the way through high school and beyond. Um, and I think part of that was just growing up the way I did, everyone kind of you know, looking at me and my sister, we'd like, you know, like we're aliens or something. So mm. I always kind of thought that, you know, maybe I should just blend into the background and, mm. uh, you know, not bring any attention to me. So that's basically how I grew, grew up was doing just that. And, you know, I'd spend a lot of time drawing, of course, um, just kind of time, time to myself. So there are kind of like three big things that I did a lot drawing. Uh, I love sports. Um, so I played lots of sports, especially basketball. Um, and I actually had a little bit of the entrepreneurial bug too, as a young kid. So I think those kind of three things, I was always had um, a lot of time to myself and would get lost in my own thoughts. And, uh, so I guess, you know, anytime, uh, you got praise, um, I think it was a, a really big thing for somebody like me who was so quiet, so reserved 
Yeah. And I always yeah. felt like you lacked something. So when someone's like, no, no, you're actually good. It was mm. like, really? Like I am? Like that, that was a really big, big impact on me. Absolutely. So when you talk about the entrepreneurial bug in sports, uh, sports cards, you know, for young guys is uh, and girls, but young guys especially uh, is something that we have a passion behind. So talk a little bit about that for you in your younger years. Yeah, I mean, it was just a fun thing in comics, too. So I would actually go to um, our local comic shop, which, uh, interestingly, was um, owned by Todd McFarlane, who created Spawn and yeah. just for a while. So it was so awesome. You could go into that store and all the way around uh, the ceiling, uh, on the wall around the ceiling was, was his original artwork from the uh. different comic books. And I would just go in there and be like, wow, this is so cool. So I would buy comic books just to draw from them i didn't even read them i would just draw and kind of learn you know the anatomy of some of the superheroes and stuff like that so that's kind of how i got really into drawing was that um but then you know being a sports fan collecting cards um another way to kind of uh you know fill up my time and you know you'd always put your cards out and like look at them oh i got some cool ones i got like a griffy rookie and you know whatever and just be excited about your little meager collection and then going to card shows um those they're probably not as popular now as they were back then but you go there and try to like buy sell and trade with you know people that are two three times your age you're like this little kid trying to <laughs> to wheel and deal with with your little cards so um no it was awesome just collecting cards I actually still have a lot of them it was funny uh my daughter and wife I was like I have this little chest or like a, a comic book box that I just had all of my comics in, and we went through them the other day and I was like, dang, man, these are actually, some of these are worth some, some money now. So I'm glad I hung on to them. Yes. Um, yeah, but it was just awesome. Man. I just love sports. I love collecting. I love memorabilia, um, those kind of things. So it's kind of fun now that, you know, that the art, my own art has kind of taken on a life of its own. People kind of get to collect my work. It was something that I so much enjoyed having it come full circle is pretty cool. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, as you're transitioning through school, you end up going to college and there is a teacher that does not maybe appreciate your art and talk a little bit about that moment and just some of the feelings that were going through your mind and thoughts you were having there. Yeah, so that was actually, I think it was my freshman year and um, I, it was an elective class. It was like basically intro to drawing. So the most basic level, entry-level class, like probably 90% of the students probably had no interest in art. He just had to take, an, as an, take it as an elective. Um, so most of the people weren't that great because it wasn't really their thing. Um, but I was really into art. I wanted to be an art major. Um, so it was, it was, I was all in. And one of the assignments was to do a self-portrait. Um, and it was a kind of an overnight homework assignment. And uh, the next day we return to class, everybody lines up their work in the front of the class. So you get to see everybody's um, piece that they did themselves. And then what's typical in that kind of the art school setting is you'll do a critique or a, and you go through and the teacher will talk about each student's piece, what they like, stuff like that. And for the most part, they're always very, very encouraging. Um, so she did just that. She went through all the students. Um, again, not the greatest work because these are intro students not art majors um, but said all great things about all of their work and then mine um, I was actually really excited to share mine because I thought I took a totally different direction than everybody else um, a lot of people just kind of looked in the mirror and drew their face as they saw it where I like I went and I set up the lighting in my in my room and I made this really dramatic like mm. high contrast uh uh, kind of reflection of my own face and then looked in the mirror and drew it that way and then even when I brought it into work I get to all this art brought it into school I could see all the students were like wow that's really cool they're really gravitating towards this so I was like ah oh, I'm thinking this is going to be my moment yeah uh, yeah once the teacher got to me she basically ripped me apart in front of the class saying you know it's not it's not that good like I've seen this type of drawing before it's so unoriginal and kind of on and on and as she went on my face just slowly dropped more and more and again I was the, the quiet kid still coming in um so that just really really crushed me as she kind of embarrassed me in front of the whole class and I think sometimes 
you get those uh, teachers or coaches that they take that hard line with you to try to teach you a lesson. Um, this wasn't one of those <laughs> teachers because there wasn't like a, hey, I'm trying to push you to be better. Right. Conversation. It was just like, let's kick this guy um, for whatever reason. So uh, it made an impression in the very, very worst possible way. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. I mean, I think so many times people are excited about something and then someone in their life that maybe they is in a power or position of power or someone they respect goes ahead and kind of derails what they're thinking and they buy into that concept. And that might be the end or, you know, the closing of a door. So for you, how did you hear that, take that and then say, I'm going to keep going regardless. So. Well, it actually, I think it had a pretty big, a bigger impression than maybe it should have really. It planted that seed in my mind that I I wasn't really that good. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's kind of slow. And although I went on to do pretty good things at at University of Washington, I went, you know, I studied abroad in their um, studio art program in Rome, Italy. So I was like one of the youngest students selected to that. So that was really cool. Um, But yeah, it, it, um, you know, coming out of college, right is when you need, you need to make a decision, like what I'm going to do for a career. And, you know, I think art is one of those things where people, you know, it's easy to say, Hey, there's no money there. Um, you're going to pour your whole life. That's not a real career. That's just a hobby. You know, what are you really going to do? So as a lot of those people were telling me that, you know, I think in the back of my mind is hearing that teacher saying, you're not that good. And, you know, uh, I, I went, a different direction and it kind of goes to the point that you're kind of making is like the power that your network has you know especially if you trust the opinion of these people and how they can potentially direct you left or right and it may or may not be the right decision for you so for me it uh it, i thought it was the right decision based on all that i was hearing yeah um, but it ultimately led me away from art um but I thought would be forever. Yeah. So you you hit the nail on the head there, right? Um, We we get this information. We make the decisions based on, hey, these people are older than me. They must know what they're talking about. They must be smarter than I am. And so I'll follow it. Although sometimes it leads us away from our passion. I think um, the tough part is deciding, all right, is this advice because they don't want me to have this struggle, right? Or is this advice because they're really allowing me or encouraging me to follow my passion? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think most people probably are erring on the side of uh, trying to help you avoid a pretty big struggle. Yeah, and I think in a, like any high risk industry or position or career, it's easy to say like you know, art, music, you know, photography, like those are nearly impossible to kind of make it you know, whatever make it means, but yeah. uh, so just, you know, spare yourself, man, like go the safe route. Yeah. You know, I think it's an easy conversation to have for anybody. And in most cases, you're probably right. Hmm. Um, so, it's, but it's those times where you told it to maybe the wrong person and, and, you know, we missed out, everybody misses out on kind of the art that they could have created. Yeah. Well, so segueing to that for a while, you decide, hey, you know what? I'm going to take some time off of art. I'm going to join the, the normal working world, right? And uh, you, you follow the passion of basketball, though, and you decide to go and uh, get on with the Seattle Supersonics. So talk about that, because that's got to be a pretty cool opportunity for you. It was. I mean, I, I remember, um, you know, just being – a huge, huge basketball fan, you know, even in high school, I was, I was the captain of our team, which we weren't that good. So it's not that impressive, but was captain of the team, did art, all that fun stuff. So once, um, I think that's every kid's dream job, right? Like, oh, I want to work for the Sonics. I want to be a GM. Yeah. I want to like pick the player, you know? So that was kind of what the crazy idea I had in my head. Um, so when I, my senior year in college, I got uh, my first position with the Sonics, which was working part-time on game nights only uh, for like minimum wage, it actually cost me more money to park my car than I what I made working there. Um, but that was kind of how I got my foot in the door. And then, um, kind of like a little bit of serendipity where the next year after I graduated, they were starting up an inside sales team. 
which they've never had before. Mm. And um, I've always, again, cause I was kind of the, the quiet kid. I was never like a really good um, like interviewer per se of like uh, job interviewing. Um, but I actually did have some sales experience at that time. So I guess my approach to sales is way different than probably what a lot of people's is. Cause I was actually pretty successful in sales, even though it probably didn't translate. If you were looking for a certain kind of sales conversation, it probably wasn't the one we were going to have. Yeah. So I remember the, the manager that hired, I, I, I basically was like on the very edge of getting the job or not getting the job. He didn't say you got it. He's basically said, Hey, write me like a one pager and tell me why I should mm-hmm. hire you. Yeah. And for me, I was actually, I'm, I'm a pretty good writer. And if I have some time to collect my thoughts, you know, I can put it on paper pretty well, but if in the moment, like I would always panic, right. That's why I was always so bad at interviews. I had that, that anxiety <laughs> would kick in and I'd kind of <laughs> blank and be like, ah, yeah, I'm not really an idiot. I'm just sounding like I am. Cause I'm kind of freaking out right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I sent him that letter and that's ultimately what got me my foot in the door and then worked my way up through the Sonics actually uh, spent five years with the team. And by the time I left, I was actually the top salesperson for the team. Yeah. So it kind of worked out, but there's a lot of kind of uh, great stories and camaraderie and stuff along the way within those five years. I want to highlight what you said about getting your foot in the door. So many people want to be the head salesman day one, but they're not willing to be the senior that gets paid minimum wage, costs more to park their car than they're going to earn that night. But when you do something that you're passionate about and you love, I'm sure there's days where you're like, why am I doing this? But there are other days where you're like, it's worth it, right? You know, even though I'm paying more than I'm going to get paid, it's so much fun. I, I love the atmosphere. Talk a little bit about how you, you know, felt during those times and being willing to do the small things to get the big opportunity in the long run. Yeah. And I didn't even know it would actually lead to anything. Right. Um, Just wanted to get, you know, I love basketball. I want to be around the game in the arena. Like it was just fun, a great atmosphere to be a part of. Um, And, you know, hopefully maybe if, you know, the stars align, it might grow into something better. But you got to start somewhere. I think, you know, a lot of people want to work in sports. It's one of those industries that is cool to work within. So they get a zillion resumes. Um, And even once I got hired, everybody there is a rock star. You know, they're all really, really good. And then the the industry, ironically, the athletes make millions of dollars. But the the workers are probably like 50% underpaid compared to their market value. Yeah, you know, really smart people that could go and make, you know, double anywhere else. Um, so you got a lot of competitive dynamics working together against each other as people, you know, they want to get from those low rungs where you start at to the higher rungs where you can make like a decent salary. So, um, man, you, you really learn a lot about yourself, about competitive, about even working together because it, what was funny, we always, I'm still good friends with everybody I worked with. And we always joke about those early days that our inside sales uh, office, if you want to call it, was essentially a closet. That, <laughs> so the, the Sonics had this really nice, um, they were in this really nice building on the waterfront in Seattle. Yeah. And the, the team office was up on the fifth floor, which was the top floor. Awesome view of the water. Uh, amazing. And then our inside sales team was on the first floor, basically like a closet room like a little, a small conference room. And they just lined it with desks, like little cubicles. So you have like 10 people smashed in there, all competing for a chance to get out of the closet, I guess. That's amazing. As you mentioned, you get the sales role, you progress through. What do you think it was about you? And you mentioned, Hey, I'm probably not the typical sales type of personality or conversations, but you, you really were able to connect with people and move them to action. So talk a little bit about for you, what it was about your unique style and how you were able to have success that way. Yeah. I mean, it all, like any sales, I guess, positions about relationships, but I think mm-hmm. how you get there and how you develop it can be drastically different. And, yeah. and for me, you know, I'm a pretty like easygoing guy, uh, not like that crazy high energy salesman guy. So when I would talk to people, I would just like, 
talk to them like a friend, like a normal volume, maybe a little on the relaxed side, you know, we just talk about sports and I never really pushed any sales onto them. I was never that sales guy. Yeah. You know, I think once we talked about, you know, the team or whatever you want to talk about, like, Hey, you know what? We have this, you know, this package available or, I don't know if you ever considered season tickets. There's actually some pretty cool things you get with it and it's a lot cheaper. You know, you just kind of like sprinkle in some of the benefits as you go very, very naturally. So I think I got from, you know, point A to point Z in a lot different way than most people. They'll try to like skip as many steps to get the sales quickly as possible. And I would maybe elongate the sales process a little bit, but your close ratio would be much higher as a result. So it's kind of the old tortoise versus the hare mentality. Yeah. Um, so that's, that, that's kind of how I really built not only, uh, my approach to sales back then, but even, even now in the art world, like I'm, I'm never pushing for that, that quick win, you know, always kind of playing the long game and, you know, if it works out great, if it doesn't work out, you still met somebody really cool and, yeah. you, get to, you know, so it's, I guess it's, it wasn't always just about the sale. So, yes. Now. You decide that, hey, I should maybe get my MBA if I want to stick in the business world. And while you're getting your MBA, you and uh, a friend or a couple of folks decide to start a business. So once again, that entrepreneurial spirit is coming out. Talk about that, uh, that phase and what that first business was. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, to tie off the Sonics, the, the team, of course, got sold and moved to Oklahoma City. <laughs> so, you know, you can either go with the team and move or or you're out of a job you know yeah. so i decided to not go with the team because you know i didn't want to leave seattle um so yeah that was kind of the time where i left and you know what next and uh again i was full on in business career mode so yeah the kind of the obvious um, option for me was to go back get an mba so i i went uh back to the university of washington and uh, yeah, towards um, the end of my time there, um, UW actually has one of the best business programs specifically for startups, and they yeah. do the competition every year that's actually open to all the schools. It's not just a UW only thing. So they had like, I don't even know, 100 teams enter from like 15 different schools. Yeah. And it's a pretty rigorous process where you, you know, you submit your, your business plan on like a one pager, and then there's what they call an investment round where mm. the top teams get invited and it's like a huge auditorium and you have people walking around from the community and you pitch them on your on your business yeah. and they can invest in you and they do yeah. it kind of silently on their own so that at the end of that the top teams like the top 16 move on and then you're like in person uh with like a panel of like legit business people and they're like picking your business apart and then we actually made it to the final uh, where now this is kind of a big deal, you know, because the top prize, it's like, you know, 10, 20, 30, $40,000. Yeah. Um, so we were presenting in front of an auditorium in front of like all the business leaders. And again, I was like the shy guy, like, like trying to make sure I got my stuff <laughs> together. Um, but we ended up basically taking third. We got so a lot of kind of notoriety just from the process we got some money as a result and then we ended up raising uh, a small round um, as a result of that and starting our own business amazing talk about the the difficulties of getting a business started and getting people on the same page and making decisions yeah i mean it's incredibly difficult i mean right because there's no playbook i think we're you know a lot of a lot of us we grow up in life and you always have like a, uh, an elder to turn to our manager to tell you what you need to do next. Oh, you yeah. did that. Now start on this thing. And there's just no one to do that. And there's not um, a very clear path of what the priorities really are or right. should be. You're thinking, man, we need to get this, but maybe this is more important. So there's a lot of decisions that have to happen as a result. Um, but it was just a, a really amazing learning experience. I mean, whenever I talk to like students or I always push people into the startup world, if that's what they're interested in, you know, potentially owning or running a business because you wear so many different hats. It's so high paced. Um, and you just meet so many different people. And, uh, you know, a lot of times people want to help you along yeah. the way. 
which is really cool too. So it's just a, a unique experience that you can't really get working at a, a large company. No doubt. Now, as that business takes off and is doing well, you guys end up deciding, hey, it's time to sell. That just opens up a different door for you. So talk through that transition for you. Yeah, so that uh, that company ended up, we, we basically took it as far as we could. And then we ended up exiting. It wasn't like a huge win, but yeah. you know, we made it out alive. Um, and I think that is a big win in the uh, startup space, by the way. <laughs> Technically, yeah, yeah, you just you survived. But what was kind of wild is that we were trying to raise another round of funding. That's we ultimately did not raise that next round. Uh, but in that process, a friend of mine um, introduced me to. He's like, "Hey, would you want to meet, uh, you know, Lawyer Malloy, who's a you know former NFL player? Um, he he actually invests in a number of different companies. So he set up a meeting with Lawyer and I to um, you know pitch him on that on that previous company." Yeah. And so the lawyer came and then with a uh, lawyer came another guy named James Sun, who was um, the finalist on The Apprentice. So the LA season, he made it to the very end Yeah, and got fired at the end. So he was like the runner up. Um, so anyways, I was pitching lawyer on this, uh, on our, our company and James was there for his you know, business support for lawyer. And at the end of that, they didn't invest. Um, so as that company wound down, James got back in touch with me. He's like, Hey, I'm actually starting this company. Um, you know, would you be interested? And that kind of one thing led to the other. And I, I joined that company as I guess employee number one, um, you know, joining the founding team yeah. and that company, we went on to raise, you know, $4 million and, uh, you know, built this, it was a mobile app that we grew over, you know, three, four years. And that was ultimately acquired. So it's been, and that was even a, a crazier role because we actually were a quote, real business, real customers. There's a lot going on. Um, so I ran kind of the sales and marketing for, for that company. So even a, a crazier experience um, in, in mostly good ways, you know, I think when I look back, it was mostly positives. You always have those you know, a couple all-nighters where I literally was in the, office <laughs> the next morning trying to get stuff figured out. But um, it's pretty cool to have a group of people that are all so dedicated to the yeah. same thing and all pulling in the same direction. And there's never like the finger pointing because it was mm. like, okay, there's this problem and it doesn't really matter whose problem it is, but we, we got to figure it out because we're all here together. And I think that was something I never really experienced with uh, any of previous companies that I was a part of. Now, Keegan, I think you're a pretty humble guy. So I'm just going to call you out on this. And uh, I'm noticing a trend here. Uh, you were the captain of the basketball team in college. You get invited to go overseas and study. Uh, you become the best salesman in the company. You pitch a guy and he ends up calling you back to want to hire you. You make a very good impression on people is what I'm starting to realize what is it about you that you feel like really resonates with people? I think, uh, I think probably it is just being humble in a lot of regards and, yeah. and mostly le leading by example, really. That's kind of yeah. the number one thing because I was never that guy that could come in and light up a room with my personality. <laughs> and I never even, I was too afraid to even try it. Yeah. <laughs> so I just stayed away. So I just was always like the hardest worker in the room. So I got really good grades throughout school, not because I was the smartest kid, but I just worked harder. Um, you know, graduating at the top of my class in graduate school, again, I wasn't the smartest kid, I just worked harder. And I think um, in just being real with people, yeah. I think a lot of times people over sell themselves, especially in, you know, an interview environment. Yeah. Um, and I think that was always a good thing and a bad thing for me because I think whenever I would go in, even though I did great things in the past, I would almost like undersell myself a bit. So I wouldn't get the position in a lot of times, but I think the people that could see through that. And cause I, even when I had to hire people, I was always like a firm believer and you want to hire more for like attitude yeah. than previous experience. I think mm. it can be learned, right? Like, yeah. Does this person, want to learn and do I want to work with them and do they have all the right other attributes because I can yeah. teach them this thing um and I you know so I think that was part of it was like 
you know, you can see that that that's a person you probably want to work with. And he has a track record of success, even though he might not be touting the whole story. Like it's numbers don't lie. So to speak, yeah. right. And, and thing with that, the Sonics, like I wasn't the guy that was like in your face, like the sales guy or, but they, they kind of nicked me the nicknamed me the silent assassin. <laughs> that would just be like chilling, like having these like really semi quiet conversations with people. And then it's just like, you throw these big numbers on the board and they're like, what the hell, man? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, so like the numbers at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of ways to get to the, the prize at the yeah. end. You betcha. Now, <clears throat> In your life, you, your mom and yourself had, had a close relationship and she ends up passing away early on. And so talk about the impact that that had on you, but then the outlet that that opened back up for you. Yeah, I mean, growing up, my mom was always my biggest fan, like biggest supporter. And again, for a quiet kid, that was like a really big deal. Yeah. And I even one one of my assignments, I forget which grade it was in, but I had to do like a, a marketing plan for like Nike or whatever yeah. it was. Um, and she was like, wow, this is really good. And neither of my parents went to college, but so I was like, oh, you know, you're just my mom. You're saying that (laughs) you could, you could work for, you could be the CEO of Nike one day. And I was like, no, that's that's ridiculous. That's good. She's like, why, why not you? She would kind of, that, even that seed stuck in my head too. Like, why not you? And uh, at the time it didn't take hold, but yeah, the seed was planted um and even with my sister you know being disabled my mom was always volunteering at all the special olympics she was mm. like actually coaching them uh, a lot of the teams and i would volunteer i coached basketball a year um so she was always very much involved so yeah i think you know getting that news of you know your mom's not feeling very well um mm. you know, on a friday she goes in the hospital on saturday and passes away on a sunday wow um, happen that fast it like you're not prepared you don't know what to do it's like you just you're just stunned you're yeah staring into oblivion like what the hell <laughs> um yeah it was just crazy so i mean for me it, like it kind of changed like everything <laughs> really everything yeah where you know you kind of like realize how short of a time you're here mm. And how fragile life is when it can just bang, 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 and you're just, you're not here anymore. Right. I kind of, you know, started to think very, very deeply about myself, you know, my past, my present, my future, and like, what, what do I want to do next? Like, why, why am I here? Why are any of us here? What's the point of all this? Yeah. Um, And I think during that process, I was just driving home one day and I was, again, thinking about my mom, my childhood and how you know, art was always such a big part of growing up. Yeah. And at this point, I hadn't drawn anything in about 10 years. Wow. Like at all. It's just art was not on my radar, never was going to be on my radar again. But it was just like something just kept, it was like, it was a very weird feeling where I just like, man, I should really, I don't know why, man, just maybe just nostalgia. I want to, I want to draw something. Yeah. So that night I went home and I did. <laughs> and that was kind of the first first thing that kind of started this journey. Now, as you talk about, you know, losing a parent, losing someone that really believed in you and still the strong sense of confidence in you. What about going back to the basic, the original, right? The the passion for art. How how did that kind of come to be something that you're like, you know what? yeah i should i should try this yeah i mean it it did has taken on a few different evolutions really because uh in the very beginning again there was no uh goal behind it becoming a job or a career or anything like that it was just like literally that first inclination of like man you should draw it's been so long like can you still even do it and then just thinking about my mom so that was that initial pull and i remember i just sat down i drew a picture of michael jordan who you know favorite player of course if you grew up you know, in the nineties, you know, like basketball. I mean, damn. Yeah. Um, so I drew a picture of Michael. I remember I posted that on like Facebook or something and people, no one even knew I could draw. Like it was like this unknown thing. I was like, wow, what the heck? And somebody had asked me, can you do a piece of can uh, draw a picture of Cam Chancellor of the Seahawks? Yeah. 
and they even offered me a hundred dollars. So I was like, dang, dude, if I can make like a hundred dollars a month extra doing this, like easy money, like, yeah. you know, how cool is that? So that was, uh, I did a piece of cam and I posted that and then he saw that online and then reshared it. Yep. And then we, you know, I replied to his sharing of that. And then we had a couple of messages and he asked me to do a piece for him. So that happened nowhere out of the blue post from no drawing to one, but now this big athlete, the Seahawks were the best team in the league at the time, uh, you know, Super Bowl, winning Super Bowls, going to Super Bowls, uh, and they had the best defense. So Cam was like one of the biggest guys at the time. So it was yeah. pretty remarkable attention and to have a chance to do a piece for him i love a who knew in the moment moment like that right you know hey i'm just gonna you know make this visual of cam chancellor for a friend and then he ends up commenting on it and sharing it and, and you guys get connected now additionally being in seattle getting the connect with cam all of a sudden that opens up a door with richard sherman he makes a post so talk about the connection there yeah, and, and I, it wasn't even like a direct intro, but maybe yeah. Richard saw something of mine because what one thing I like to do with my art is I share updates every day as I progress through it. Yeah. So videos, images, um, so people can really see it all come together. It's kind of a fun to kind of see behind the curtain, see how yeah. it all comes together. So as I was posting those of Cam's piece, Cam was resharing a lot of them. Yeah. So it's like a lot of now a lot of new eyeballs are on my work. Yeah. Uh, and then, and kind of in the back of my mind throughout all this, I was like, man, like I had a full-time job at the time. And was, so I didn't need to, I had no intention of making money with my art. So I was like, man, it'd be cool if I could, you know, do something for charity, you know, like use my art to raise money. And uh, I had this idea, but I didn't know if anybody would want to do it. I didn't even know how I, how I pull it off. So, um, but I saw Richard Sherman posted on Twitter that he had his upcoming charity softball game for his foundation and i just replied to his public tweet hey man i had this idea um you know can i like send you a dm about it and he was like sure i was like oh shit so he you know we follow each other and then i told him the idea i was like man i want to do this drawing of of you guys you know whatever i want to do a drawing create 200 prints and sell them for 200 each and then donate a hundred percent of the money. Um, would you be down for that? And we, you know, we'll sign them. We'll both sign them. We'll both number them all. So it's like this really limited edition thing. Like, what do you think? And I just figured he was like, yeah, yeah. And then, but he's like, yeah, man, let's do it. So I was just like <laughs> floored, like blown away. Yeah. Wanted to give this a go. And I remember talking to my wife, and she was like, yeah, you should just call it the Keegan Two Hundred because it's like two hundred prints for two hundred each. So I was like, ah, okay. So that's kind of how the name came about. And uh, I remember we announced the project on a Monday uh, and the on sale date was going to be the, the coming up Friday. And that week was just, it went bonkers on social media, went like national, international news. Uh, even uh, the Seahawks were in training camp. So people, the, the press was asking during his official press conferences, we're asking him about this project, you know, not about me, yeah. who am I, some random dude. Um, so by the time Friday rolled around, it sold out on the first day, $40,000 raised, donated. And that was kind of the first one of, uh, of many to come. Yeah. Now we keep using the term draw and we're going to draw. Now we have to explain to the listeners what, what drawing means. So Keegan takes a photo and with a pencil is able to make it look literally like a photo of the person or of the moment in time. Uh, you referenced Michael Jordan. He has Michael Jordan fully extended uh, doing that. Now, this doesn't take him, you know, a quick 30 minutes or an hour, and he's just mass producing these things. It can take five hours, 30 hours. So talk a little bit about your process of all of the detail and how you go about drawing uh, these immaculate photos. Yeah, I would say on average, most of the drawings are like 40 to 60 hours each. Um, the, the Jordan one that you're referring to and the dunk one, Alan, was probably over 300. And then I'm 
gonna be doing one that I think will probably be like six months long, like just all day, like thousands of hours. So it's like, I'm like learning to draw all over again. So as I learn, I keep wanting to like push myself to see, can I go farther, can I go further? And actually that, that very first one, that very first fundraiser was Richard Sherman. A lot of people don't know the story behind the drawing. So the drawing itself was of um, the huddle, the, the defense, whenever they would get in this huddle, they'd do this thing back and forth and yeah. get each other hyped up. So the guy who, um, who wanted to commission that piece was like, hey, I found this image of the guys doing the huddle, but he's like, I really want Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman to kind of be in the front, but Earl wasn't even in this image at all. So I had to figure out a way to get Earl into the drawing or into the image. So, um, and it was, so it was actually really difficult. Now you can look at that piece and it looks like he belongs there and it's all normal. Like, like that's how the original image was, but the challenge was putting him in there, matching the lighting. Like he actually has, you know, his arms are all tattooed up. Yeah. So figuring out how those tattoos would look being wrapped around because there's no images I could really, I had to pull all these different images together and see how they wrap around the arm a certain way at that angle with the light hitting it a certain way so yeah I think most people just see it as like oh that's a cool thing but they don't really know what went into like pulling that all together so um but yeah long time incredibly detailed just use a pencil yeah trying to get that hyper realistic or I just keep kind of pushing myself to extract more and more and more detail um, so it's not a short process process. It's not really a great kind of business. if you look at your hourly rate, um, but it's a kind of a fun challenge and obviously it's, it's been working out, uh, well so far. Yeah. Now, once again, we're, we're trending with, uh, Seattle Seahawks defenders, but you also get Russell Wilson. You got the signed Jersey behind you, but you also have, Barack Obama, you have Dave Grohl, you, you get artists as well. So, or musicians as well. So talk about how some of those relationships came to be and, uh, in the connections and, you know, opportunities you had there. Yeah. I mean, every project has some crazy unique story. I mean, literally we should every- just do an episode for every project you've done. That's they're, what we should do. It, they're like that too. Yeah. I could just talk about forever. Like even the, uh, the one I did for Obama, it was like, I get a call from the governor's office of Washington. And they're basically like, hey, um, Obama's coming into town for this fundraiser. We want to give him something like super unique that, you know, no one else could do. So like, could you create a piece for him? Yeah. I actually was leaving out of town in two days for a vacation that we had planned forever uh, with my family. And knowing that my stuff takes so long, I was like, I was like, it's not physically possible for me to really do something that I would be proud of. So I was about to tell them like, sorry, I can't do it. But then I was like, what the, what the hell am I saying, dude? This is a piece for the president. <laughs> you don't just pass on that. Like that's ridiculous. So I literally um, started working on this piece yeah. and I did like back to back, like 16 to 18 hour days of just, and for me, normally I draw like three hours at a time because it's so mentally taxing like you're really trying to get those details you're really concentrating so you gotta like take breaks and walk away and you know recharge your mind but this one I just didn't have that option because it had to be done so I was just like a zombie my wife would like bring food in to like my little art studio and I would eat like while I'm drawing just go 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 and I literally dropped it off on my way to the airport uh and and then like the next day he was coming into town and i got uh, a friend sent me a picture who was at the at the event and it was the governor presenting obama with the piece and it was like pretty wild i'm still waiting actually to see because uh what what i was told is that officially it's a gift from a a dignitary from you know government so it's going to either the piece will either end up at the presidential library that i think is now open in chicago um, or if he likes it, he's going to take it and put it up in his house or whatever. Right. So yeah. I don't know where it is. So if it's in Chicago, uh, at the, the library, cool. I can see it again. Um, if I don't ever see it again, I guess that's even better. Yeah. Wow. Now, as you're doing these drawings that there has to, well, there, I guess there don't have to be, but there potentially could be some 
oops, I, I need to go back and uh, adjust that or I need to erase. How, how do you go about doing that? Because you go so intricately. I mean, you're so detailed. How, how does one go about that? Well, it's actually interesting because I, when I finish each drawing, I love it because it's the best that I could do. And I wait like a day or a week and I'm just like, oh man, like I could have done all these things differently. Yeah. And even crazier looking back at my, or even that early one of Cam Chancellor. And I just like shake my head like, oh my God, this is so bad. Um, so it's this continual process. I actually take a very, I don't know if it's because of my business background and looking at things a certain analytically and okay, what did, how did that campaign go? You know, how did it work out? What can we do? What did we learn from it? What can we do better next time? Yeah. I kind of take that approach with my art too. It's like, okay, where, what's kind of lacking in this piece where, okay, the detail on the face or maybe it's the jersey doesn't quite, and like, oh, how could I have made it better? Oh, well, I could have done a little bit more like this. So I, I kind of take that approach with every piece. So I'm kind of learning along the way. So hopefully every piece is getting better as I progress. Um, but you could definitely see a difference from kind of the beginning to where I'm at now. Um, so that it's been cool to see that progress and just knowing like, hey, I could probably still get better because I'm still not super happy with the pieces that I produce. I still want to do more and get better. I think that's a phenomenal point. Once again, we're talking about it in respect to art, right? But it could be anything. And that's being proud of what you accomplished because at that moment in time, it was the best you could do, right? It doesn't mean it's the best you're ever going to do, but there is power in saying that's the best I could do today and still being hungry to get better. Totally. That, that's, that's it. I think that's whenever I, cause I read a lot too and yeah. listen to audio and podcasts and all, all that stuff. I'm fascinated about other people's approach to being great at something, yeah. you know, and I think a lot of people, like at least the best people, they, they never thought they were good enough mm-hmm. and that fuel. And that, that's really like the story of my life. Like I never felt like I was good enough. Right. So I always had to do more. I felt like I had to do more. Um, forever and that's kind of how it, it still is like you know you feel like especially in art like it's it feels like it's so fragile where you could just it could all just go away so you're like I I can't let that happen like I gotta work twice as hard to give myself a shot at making it um, so I think yeah as soon as you let off the gas and think that you've made it wherever that is uh, that's kind of the beginning of the end mm, that's really good now, at this point, you've donated, I think it's over 600000 It could be even more money than that. Um, but I think that really brings you, your story to this point full circle, right? Growing up, I didn't necessarily have finances. I've been given opportunities and I've excelled in the opportunities that present themselves to financially take care of myself. So now I can give back more. So what does it mean to you to be able to give back uh, to, you know, charities and affiliations that, that need these funds? I mean, it's amazing. It's like really like a childhood dream, you know, cause I think a lot of people when they, when they're always saying like, Oh, when I reach this point, then I'm going to start giving back for yeah. whatever reason. And I, I just kind of took it the opposite approach. I just gave back before I even had anything. Yeah. Um, and it was pretty wild to see, I guess the reaction was probably the most surprising was like the more that I just gave like all of it, hundred percent, not only the, the time and the artwork, but people would buy prints. I have to like package them all up and like send them post off. It was just like this massive undertaking and I just didn't make any money off it. I would just, you know, it was all donated. Yeah. But the more that I kind of gave, it was like the more that, like the community kind of gave back to me in supporting mm-hmm. my work. They would want to get a print for themselves. They would tell a friend, they would share whatever. And like over time, you know, the, the bigger the projects were and the more that you gave away, the more that people wanted to support what you were doing. And it was this awesome thing where like everybody was winning all along the way. And that's yeah. really the best possible scenario, right? Like the win, win, win for everybody. Um, and that's actually now that I've built this, um, these campaigns, that's how I structure it, where it's like, um, usually the original drawing, you know, I'll, I'll sell that separately. So that's my, I guess, compensation. So I get a little bit of a win from the original, the prints, you know, that raises the big bucks. Uh, that's all donated. 
So the, the charity wins. And then of course, you know, the community wins too, not only from the donations, but being a part of the campaign, you know, just getting kind of the positive vibes that come off from just seeing a project like this. Yeah. It's like everybody is benefiting. So that's what I really have loved. Like people sh are sharing their stories with me about, you know, whether it's the art or the, you know, if I'm drawing like Eddie Vedder, um, the project I did with Ed is like all so many pro like I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan. I just got back from LA <laughs> go see them. Um, but everyone like I would, I would receive so many emails of like, oh man, I first saw uh, Pearl Jam in like the '90s and I was at this show and that. You know, I, I camped out the night before. Everyone's got these crazy stories about the band and yeah, experiences. So it was fun to kind of like with every drawing I've done, people have kind of kind of shared with me a little piece of them too um so it's been this crazy like new things keep developing um new little wrinkles of each project continue to evolve as i progress through these and you know this that one with ed it sold out instantly like it basically my website crashed it broke yeah and we uh, we oversold because like the freaking website went berserk and oversold by like six i was like no what am i gonna do <laughs> we raised like a hundred thousand dollars wow seconds um so it's kind of got to that point where it's like that crazy now but it's all a good thing because we all you know donated all the money and we're just trying to trying to make the world a little bit better place but, you know one drawing at a time well keegan i appreciate you sharing your story man and highlighting some of the pivotal moments that have led you to where you're at today uh, one, I can't wait to continue to follow your journey and see all the new projects that are coming, um, and all the amazing, you know, people you're gonna be able to connect with and impact that way. But two, just so everyone knows Keegan's dream that we're, we're working on actively is to bring the Seattle supersonics back to Seattle with the owner, possibly also the GM, Mr. Keegan Hall. We're getting close. I, I don't need to be like the majority owner. I just want to yeah. have like a minor share in there somewhere, uh, if that's even possible. So I'm just throwing it out there to the world. And who knows, maybe I'll get that little shot to be the, the smallest of the minoritiest minor owner. We'll see. <laughs> well, Keegan, thanks again so much for your time today, man. Excited for you and uh, can't wait to just share your story and help, help continue to, like you said, impact the world. All right, thanks, Bill. Appreciate it.